You're listening to the Promised Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Aaron. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisedchurch.com. All right, this morning we're going to jump right on in. That is blue. We're going to jump into Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, you can turn to it in your Bibles, you can read it up on the screen. Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 19, verse 1, and it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. How many people are thankful that Jesus is a friend of sinners? Come on, you are and were once a sinner, but now you are a saint which you found him. But let us not forget, as Scott said, that Jesus found you in your mess. He's a friend of sinners. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Last week, uh, I began a series titled The Holy Spirit, and it was part one, which is The Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit. If you are not here, I highly recommend going back and listening to it, as it's the foundation of who the Holy Spirit is. Today is part two, and it's the Holy Spirit. Will you let him in? Will you let the Holy Spirit in? I talked about this last week, but the Holy Spirit is God. He is not some crazy uncle who happens to come when you least expect him and is unique and crazy. He is God. The Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I asked my kids this week, I said, who, where is Jesus? And they were like, he is in our heart. He is not actually in your heart. Jesus does not live in your heart. Jesus is actually in heaven. He ascended and he sits at the right hand of God. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is what dwells in your heart. And when the Holy Spirit comes, everything changes. Everything changes when the Holy Spirit arrives. In Acts chapter 1 verse 4, it says, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this, Do not leave Jerusalem. Do not go anywhere, but wait. Stay here and wait because there is a gift that you need to receive before you go anywhere else. Now Jesus says this because he says, It's better that I go then for me to stay with you because there is a gift that you need to receive. And if you do not have the physical Jesus standing next to you, there is a gift that you need to receive called the Holy Spirit. It is the promise of God for your life. Amen. Amen. And Jesus says, you must wait. He tells us to 500 people. And over 50 days, the 500 people dwindle down to 120 people who are remaining. And those 120 people in an upper room encounter the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Are we awake this morning? This is scripture. We should be happy about scripture. Oftentimes in the waiting, though, we begin to question whether this is real. We begin to question whether we really need it. You can imagine those 380 people. 
people who heard about the thing from the Lord to wait for. They didn't know what it was. They just knew it was something. They knew they needed to wait, but they begin to question, and in the process of waiting, they begin to decide whether they actually needed it. Do I actually need this for my life? I was just with Jesus. I don't really need the Holy Spirit. It's not for today. We hear this sort of stuff from the church even. The Holy Spirit isn't for today. I don't need him. I'm fine just the way that I am. But Jesus actually waited 30 years to do anything until he received the Holy Spirit. He waited 30 years before he healed the sick, before he raised the dead, before he cast out a demon to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In John 1, 32, it says, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Jesus is the Son of God, but Jesus needed to receive the baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit before he did anything. And I believe that if Jesus thought it was important for him to receive the Holy Spirit, it's probably important for you and for me. That we need the Holy Spirit in our lives, filling us, not just one time, but the, the Bible talks about being filled and filled again by the Holy Spirit in your life. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter your education, your degree. It doesn't matter how many years you've been in church, how well you know the Word of God. Zechariah says it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. Come on, we need to be a church that knows our Word. By my Spirit, says the Lord. It is by his spirit that you will survive and you will last in your faith. It is not by your education, not by your analytical perspectives. It is by his spirit. And the Lord spoke to me this week and he said, Aaron, I need you to tell the church something. I need you to tell them that I want to get very personal. That I want to go from the exterior to the interior. That the Holy Spirit was not meant to be something you come and observe at a church service or who you come and you get a feeling and a goosebump by, but you actually have him go inside of your life and he walks with you everywhere you go. He wants to go past emotion and action and come into your heart. He wants to fill you and be with you. And in this story, we see Zacchaeus who recognizes that Jesus is passing by. And I love the way that things are said in Scripture because it says Jesus was passing by, which means nobody was asking him to stay. Nobody thought it was worth asking Jesus to stay, so he was just going to begin to pass through. And how many people know that how people interact with Jesus is how we interact with the Holy Spirit today? How the disciples walked and talked with Jesus is how we walk and talk with the Holy Spirit today. Amen. And so he realized that Jesus was passing through. Do we realize when the Holy Spirit is passing through? Do we realize when the Holy Spirit comes into a room? In worship, in our worship here on Sunday mornings, you can feel when the Holy Spirit comes into the room. Now maybe you haven't felt that yet, but you need to begin to become aware. When does the Holy Spirit enter a room? There are times when during worship, and it, it can be a different at different moments, but all of a sudden you can feel the presence of God coming into the room and I'm sweating from worshiping, but all of a sudden I get goosebumps all over my arms and you can feel them and I begin to have tears well up in my eyes because something begins to burn inside of me and you can just feel this electricity all of a sudden be charged in the room and all I want to do is just stop because I'm like, do not pass us by. Please stay. And I'll get on my knees or I'll begin to lift my hands or I'll just begin to put my complete attention upon, Holy Spirit, I want to go where you're going. What are you saying right now? Do you recognize when he comes into the room? Do you know when he leaves the room? Do you know when he leaves? My wife and I, we've been married 11 years, and there's been a few times where we've had some intense fellowship with one another. 
when there begins to be some argument happening. Now, y'all are perfect, but for me, I've had it a few times. And I'll be in a conversation with my wife, and it's getting a little heated, and I'm like, we love each other. Like, I love you. The Holy Spirit is not in this conversation right now. And we stop everything, and we're like, Holy Spirit, we need you to come back into this conversation. We don't want to say another word to each other. So Holy Spirit, I love you. I love my wife. Come back in. And before we begin the rest of this conversation, we need you to fill this room. Do you realize when he leaves your conversation, do you realize when he's not in your car, when you're driving, and there's somebody in front of you who you get irritated by, do you realize when he's not there? And it says that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus but he could not see him on account of the crowd. On account of the crowd, Zacchaeus could not see Jesus. Write this down. The crowd is the place of popular opinion. The crowd is the place of popular opinion. Zacchaeus wanted to see him, wanted to know what Jesus was saying, wanted to know what Jesus was doing, but the crowd prevented him from seeing Jesus. Today, in our world, there is a lot of crowds trying to get your attention away from seeing Jesus. And I'm not just talking about the crowds in the world. There are crowds in the church trying to keep your attention away from seeing Jesus. And what happens is you begin to, you're trying to see him, but the crowd won't let you to get in. So what you do is you begin to ask the people around you, hey, what's Jesus doing right now? Hey, what's Jesus saying right now? And there's all this noise happening all around the world. And we're like, I can't see him, but can you tell me what, what is Jesus saying right now? And so we go on YouTube and we go on Facebook and we ask our friend, hey, hey, do you know what Jesus is saying right now? We don't actually know what he's saying right now, but we take it, somebody's word for, and we don't even know who they are, but they're just in the crowd and they must be able to see Jesus and so we take their word for it. But we really don't even know whether Jesus is there and we start following the crowd, wherever the crowd is going and then all of a sudden the crowd disperses and we realize Jesus wasn't even there. We've been following the crowd thinking that Jesus was there but we can't even see if he's there and all of a sudden it disperses and we realize there's no Jesus. And it happens in the church because they begin to criticize uh, Jesus and it's not just criticizing Zacchaeus anymore but Jesus, you wouldn't be friends with the sinner. Jesus, you, you want to do that? And the crowd begins, it's because it's all about comfort. It's all about how we feel. And so the crowd begins to question Jesus. Well, Jesus wouldn't act that way. Jesus wouldn't do that in your life. Jesus wouldn't ask you to surrender that. Jesus wouldn't be that extreme. Or Jesus wouldn't take somebody who's been through that situation and bring them into the kingdom of God. He wouldn't do that. And we begin to question because the crowd is all about popular opinion, which is all about comfort. And the crowd begins to be full of religion in tradition, and it's all about themselves. And then when somebody begins to experience the presence and the power of God, and it doesn't fit inside of their world, they begin to try to remove it. We see this with David when he brings in the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God back into Israel, and his wife is up there, arms folded, questioning, full of tradition and religion. David, how dare you dance like that? The bro was in his underwear. How dare you dance like that? sitting back questioning. That's not what it's supposed to look like. But David said, I'll dance even more and dignified this. I'm scared to know what that would even look like. But he said, I will dance even more undignified than this. The crowd will ruin you. We see this with Saul. Saul is meant to wait for the prophet Samuel to come and to offer a sacrifice. And the crowd begins to get irritated and say, we don't have time for this. So he offers the sacrifices themselves. And that's when he, Samuel comes and says, you're no longer king. And it continues in Saul's life where 
he's there with the giant in front of him and the crowd is everybody's scared and when the king should be the one standing up and fighting, he's scared with the crowd and he has to wait for a shepherd boy who comes into the scene and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? How dare he say this about my God? How dare you let him get away with this? And he begins to stand up and say, that's not going to happen anymore. What happens? His own brother standing next to him begins to ridicule him and say, David, aren't you just a shepherd boy? Why are you opening your mouth right now? Don't you have sheep you need to go be with? And David just ignores him. And he begins to look at, at Goliath and say, I can take this guy. I don't care what the crowd says. Because you'll never have the strength to fight Goliath in the crowd. David had the strength to fight Goliath because he beat the bear and he beat the lion when no one was around. The strength that you need is not going to be found in the crowd. It's going to be found in the secret place alone with the Lord. We see how the crowd even affects David later on in David's life. David is there and he's got Saul and Saul is chasing him. Saul wants to kill him. This is after Goliath and Saul wants to kill, or Saul wants to kill him because David is supposed to be the king. And David says, I will not kill that man. And a couple of weeks ago, there maybe a month ago or so, I made a statement right here that made quite a few people uh, frustrated or defended. I made a statement that said this, Biden is my president. I have got more backlash from that statement than anything I've ever said. Now, I did not vote for him. In fact, I do not believe in a majority of everything that man stands for. But when I look at scripture, see, I don't use this to validate my feelings. I go to this to tell me how to feel. Okay, so when I read the Bible and I read Romans and I read Titus and I read 1 Peter and they say that those placed in authority over me are there for my benefit, that I'm to pray for them, that I'm to, and I'm praying not just that God will change them, but that, that God will come and transform their life. I'm praying for a man's soul. I'm praying that he will be transformed and he will be a witness to the world around him that Jesus is alive. I'm praying that Joseph's and Daniel's, I'm praying that Esther's come into his administration to give him wisdom and to lead him. And then I look at David. David's being chased by Saul. In fact, David was the rightful king. Saul wasn't supposed to be king anymore. He wasn't supposed to be there. And David is surrounded by the crowd and the crowd looks at David and says, this is your moment, go kill him. This is your moment, go tear him down. This is your moment, go throw stones at him. This is your moment, go criticize him. This is your moment, David. And David, who should have been king, says, any man who lays a hand on him, I will kill. He is my king. David says of Saul, the man trying to kill him, the man who shouldn't even be king anymore, he is my king. got real quiet and I look at David's life and I'm like God help me to be that man who can look at somebody that even though I don't agree with them just because I acknowledge them doesn't mean I have agreement with them but I can begin to pray for him I can begin to believe in him I can begin to pray that God blesses him you know there's a difference between praying about somebody and for somebody oh God just get him out of there oh God just remove him no president is your savior. The crowd will try to convince you that he's the linchpin. Jesus is the linchpin. That's all you need. And so I can confidently say that I will, I will stand and pray for my president 
and I will believe him regardless of what the crowd says. And I will at the same time, while I'm standing today, following the word today, I will stand in faith that righteousness will prevail. I will stand in faith that truth will come out. I will stand in faith that things will begin to change, that the tactics of the enemy will be ruined. So I stand in faith for tomorrow, but I live by the word of God today. We've got to be able to have the capability to do both as believers. We've got to stay in the present. God, what are you asking me to do today? I will honor and I will pray for change. And at the same time, God, I will, I will stand in the gap and I will believe that, Lord, that righteousness will prevail. We've got to be able to do both. Amen. So what does Zacchaeus do? The crowd all around him is distracting him. He can't see Jesus. And so he climbs a tree. He climbs a tree to see over the crowd. Some of us need to climb a little higher in our lives. We've been so consumed by the noise around us. I'm not just talking about the noise in the world. I'm talking about religion noise that tries to convince you of things that don't even have anything to do with the word of God, but you're resourcing from all the things that the crowd is telling you and you can't see Jesus. I don't want to know what some prophet told you. I want to know what Jesus told you. Go spend time with him. How do you get to him? Get above the crowd. Get above the noise. Climb higher. The Holy Spirit will give you that different perspective so you can see over what's blocking your view of him and you'll be able to see him. How do you see the eyes of fire of Jesus? You get above the noise around you. We need to climb higher, church. We need to climb higher to be able to see him. See, the crowd is the flesh. The crowd is comfort. The crowd is all about your comfort. The crowd will convince you that if it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't make you comfortable, don't do it. That's what the crowd will do. Let me read a scripture for you. It says this. In Galatians 5, verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The crowd will try to convince you that it's about your flesh. It's about you. It's about what you need. In church, the Holy Spirit has been a topic that has been miscommunicated and misrepresented. And so what we do to protect ourselves is we try to say, well, that's just... It's just not for me. And the crowd, the crowd of hurting people will try to block you from encountering Jesus, his presence, because of how they experienced him. And their hurts and frustrations and misunderstandings will block you from actually encountering the very fire that was meant to help you. But they'll convince you it will destroy you. You must get through the crowd and the noise to be able to see Jesus because his spirit is directly contradicting your flesh. So let me even say it this way. If it feels uncomfortable, it's probably him. If the Holy Spirit feels uncomfortable, it's probably him because it is in direct contradiction to your flesh. If you work out, you know that like pumping iron... I'd say it like I do it. That pump and iron is in direct contradiction to your flesh because it's painful. You feel sore, but we all know it's actually of benefit to us. So that uncomfortableness, that soreness is actually for your benefit. It's growing you. Don't run from the uncomfortableness of the Holy Spirit. Run towards it. 
And Jesus looks up to the tree and he notices a man and he says, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Come on, this is what this whole message is about right here. I must stay at your house today. Jesus is walking, he's passing through Jericho and something catches his attention up in the tree and makes him stop and look up. What caught his attention was a man who would no longer be left out because of the crowd and what the crowd said, but had something in him, had a passion and a desire and a commitment and a perseverance to rise above the crowd and to get Jesus' attention, and it causes him to stop. Amen. I'm preaching better than you're responding this morning, but I will persevere. Jesus stops and notices a man who's hungry. Your hunger and passion for God will cause him to stop and to stay. What caused Jesus to say, I want to stay at that man's house? It wasn't how dirty of a sinner he was. There was a lot of dirty sinners walking around. It wasn't because he was some clean and great person and a superstar. The disciples were all, all around him. What caused him to stay was his hunger. What caused him to stay was he climbed above, said, I'm, I'm tired of listening to what everybody else is saying. I just want to see Jesus. So he climbed above, and Jesus stopped and saw him and said, I want to come to your house today. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but this happens often or sometimes in my house is I'll be somewhere and, or we'll be at church, and, and I'll be talking with somebody, and I'm like, hey, you should come over to my house. And they're like, yeah, we should do it. When should we do it? Well, let's just do it today. And so what I'll do is I'll call my wife. And I'll be like, hey, guess what? Uh, So-and-so's coming over. Oh, great, when? Today. And it's like I just told her a natural disaster was about ready to hit our house. She's like, honey, you don't understand. The house isn't picked up. The clothes aren't put away. We left in a hurry this morning. Dishes are all undone. No one is allowed in our house. Because we want to get it all perfect before everybody comes over. Right? We know this. Jesus doesn't care about the state of Zacchaeus' house. He doesn't care that it's probably blood money on the table and the skeleton's still in the closet. He doesn't care. He's not asking for Zacchaeus to not be a tax collector anymore. He's saying, I want to come to your house today. So all of you who are still dealing with the addiction and the sin, you're dealing with the alcoholism and the pornography habit, you're dealing with all those things. It's like, once I get cleaned up, then I'll ask the Holy Spirit to fill me. He's not asking for you to get cleaned up. He's saying, today, right now, I want to come to your house. And he's waiting for your answer. He wants to know... Will you let him in? He wants to know, will you let him into your house? See, often we feel that the evidence of a baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift. We, that's a perspective, it's not one that I necessarily share, but we believe that the evidence of you being baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. We talked about this last week. Now, there's, 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 issues, there's two worries that I have about that belief. One is that you can pray in the Holy Spirit and never know God. There's a lot of tongue-talking Christians who never know Jesus. And that you can also pray in the Holy Spirit and think that that is the pinnacle of everything the Holy Spirit wants you, wants you to have. Now, I pray in the Holy Spirit every day. Paul says, I wish all of you would pray in the Spirit. I pray in the Holy Spirit all of the time. If you stand next to me as I'm worshiping, you're going to hear me praying out in the spirit all the time. The Bible talks about how when you pray in tongues, it edifies your spirit. 
it strengthens you. If you're feeling tired, if you're feeling weak, begin to pray out in the Holy Spirit and you'll begin to find strength. You don't know what you're saying. It's a language that you can't comprehend, but it's your spirit speaking to God. I don't got to know what I'm saying, but I know it works. I don't got to understand how it works, but I know that when I begin to pray in the spirit, I begin to find strength. I begin to find peace. I love it. Jesus says, wait here for the Holy Spirit. That verse says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Something happens in the waiting. And in that moment, when I begin to pray out in the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden strength begins to come into me. So I believe in praying in the Holy Spirit. I believe all of us should pray in tongues. But I don't believe that is necessarily evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The evidence is power. Power to do what? Power to be a witness. Now, I did not say power to witness. There is a big difference. This is not power to go evangelize. This is power to be a witness. Let me read it for you. In Acts 1 verse 8 it says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Your life literally becomes a testimony to those around you. Your life becomes a witness. You don't go witnessing. Your life is a witness. And you will tell people about Jesus, but he's not giving you power just so you can open your mouth and tell somebody about him. He's giving you power so your entire life is transformed. Every area of your life, every single one. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. How do we know someone has received the power of the Holy Spirit? It's simple. They go around doing good. Healing flows from their lives. They have physical and mental illness that is healed. Inner healing is available and the power of the devil is destroyed. Pastor, are you telling me that the Holy Spirit cares about what movies I watch? Yes. Are you telling me he cares about my marriage and how our marriage is and how we communicate with each other? Yes. Are you telling me that he cares how I, how I parent my children? Are you telling me that he, that he cares how I handle my finances? Absolutely. He cares about every area of your life. The Holy Spirit is not something you come and observe. He wants to flow through you, in you, and out of you. Every single area. When my wife and I first got married, we had a very difficult time knowing how to communicate with each other about the Lord. It was very awkward. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you're all like, don't raise your hand, honey. Don't let anybody know we got problems. I will gladly tell you all of my problems. I'm not perfect. My wife and I, we would have a lot of struggle trying to communicate just about God. It was awkward. It was difficult. Like, I didn't mind talking to somebody else about it, but with each other praying, it was like, it was just weird. It was demonic. It was terrible. And we had to push through it. We had to get through the awkward, and we began to pray with each other. We began to pray in the spirit with each other. We began to worship with each other. We began to read the Bible with each other and talk about what we read. We had to break through because we could build a great foundation by ourselves in the Lord. But if we could build our foundations together, imagine what we could do. And there would be times where I'd begin to pray for my wife and be like, oh, God, change her, please. And then the Holy Spirit would come and he'd speak to me. He says, you want your marriage to improve? Yes, Lord. He'd say, then you change first. The Holy Spirit will begin to reveal things in your life to improve your marriage. He's not going to reveal things in your spouse's wife first. He's going to start with you and be like, you're the problem. Change. Half of the issues that frustrate you begin with you. 
The other half are because of you. Every morning I wake up and I spend time with Jesus. Every morning. If I do not, now I, I, I wake up at five in the morning and I'll generally spend about an hour and a half to two hours with the Lord because this brother needs it. If I don't, my wife will come to me and be like, you didn't spend time with the Lord today, did you? She knows. Because I, I don't act the same. Because I haven't spent time with him. My marriage is built upon Jesus. In our parenting, parenting is one of the most rewarding things I've ever done and the most difficult things I've ever done. Can I get an amen from somebody? It is really, really difficult. But my wife and I know that we control the spiritual environment in our house. It is our job to control. It's not my children's job. It's our job. This is why we don't just let anything be watched by our children. My kids will never surf YouTube. My kids will never be on a phone or an iPad surfing YouTube. I dealt with pornography for many years. You want to know how accessible things are? I will control the environment in my house. My kids go to somebody else's house to watch media. They have to call and ask permission and ask about the movie. I'm their parent. I want to know what's coming into their soul. We spend time with our kids every morning. They got to read a, a chapter in the Bible or 10 minutes because Lord knows sometimes it takes longer than 10 minutes to read a chapter. Praise God for a seven-year-old. And we talk about it. We talk, what did you read today? And Israel will read, he's nine, he'll read something in the Bible, he'll read a chapter, and he's like, Dad, I didn't understand anything of what I read. So we talk, but before you read, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to say, Jesus, I'm reading this to meet you. So Holy Spirit, I want you to speak to me and reveal to me what you're saying. So we're teaching him how to read. He comes into worship and he feels, it's amazing. In Promise Kids, he'll dance and raise his hands, but he comes into church on a Sunday morning and he feels awkward. He's like, he's the noodle I've shown you before. He doesn't know what to do with his body. And I'm like, Israel, that is demonic. I don't really say that. But I'm like, Israel, you've got to break through the awkwardness. Do you realize that when you're here, you're worshiping Jesus, it shouldn't feel awkward. I know, Dad. It just feels weird. But son, you've got to press through it. It's not about your feeling or your comfort. It's not about what anybody else thinks around you or who's watching you. It's about you worshiping Jesus. And so we talk about it. You'll see me looking over and I'm like, how you doing? How you doing right now? And he's like, oh, dad. And I'm like, just lift your hand, son. And, and then he'll finally, he'll finally get him up. And he's like, and I'm like, praise the Lord. But I'm working through the process with him because as much as I want him to be successful in life, as much as I want him to have a good career, I want him to know Jesus. And I want his life to be lit on fire for him. I call my parents about different issues I'm having. Like, I want to kill my son. Should I do it? They're like, don't do it. Just spank him. Okay, thank you. Ask for help. Ask for help. You, I, I spent time about a year and a half ago, and I do it pretty often. I'll fast for my kids, and I'll take time to tell them, and I'll bring them into the conversation. My dad, one day a week for one meal that day, fasted for my brother and I for years. And look, now we're his pastors. Like, you're laughing. You're laughing, but I'm, I'm trying to show you how, how things work. If you're diligent and you take it seriously, look at what can happen. How diligent are you in your parenting? Or do you get tired and lower your standards? Will you let him into your house and your life into your marriage and your parenting? Will you let him into your finances? The Bible talks a lot about money. We think as Christians, the only thing it talks about is, is tithing. 
What the Bible actually talks about is something different. It talks about ownership. God's not after 10% of your money the same way he's not after 10% of your life. He's after 100% of your life and 100% of your money. It isn't an issue of tithing for you. It's an issue of is your money yours or is it his? See, the Bible says that when you do not tithe, that you are actually stealing from God. You're stealing from him. How can you steal something if it belongs to you? You're stealing it because it's his. And when you withhold it, you are robbing God. The Bible says when you tithe, he will open up the windows of heaven over you and he'll actually rebuke the devourer for you. But see, the Bible also talks about the other 90. And if all you do is you tithe, but you're unfaithful and a bad steward with the 90, you've lost the whole picture. You're not understanding what the Bible's talking about. When we hear the word steward, steward actually means to manage someone else's property. I want to be a good steward with my finances. You've probably said this. It's a Christian phrase that we all say, like, let's fellowship with one another. We don't know what it means, but we say it. Steward means to manage someone else's property. You want to be a good steward? It starts with the principle of ownership. It isn't yours. Will you manage it well? All of you should be managing the 90 well. How do you manage it well? You keep a budget. Every person here, no matter how much you make, you should have a budget in your life. Know where every dollar, I know where every cent goes. Every cent. You should be investing. It talks about it in Ecclesiastes. Jesus talks about it in his parables. You should be investing for the future. You should be running away from bad debt. That the the battleground of your finances is a way for Jesus to train you how to reign with him in the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit will speak to you if you will listen and let him in. I begin to hear the voice of God and learn how to hear the nudging of the Holy Spirit through my finances. When I was 18, the Holy Spirit told me to give away my car. Very hard as an 18-year-old. But I began to be listening and hearing the Holy Spirit and he began to move me up to where it wasn't just a car. Now it was tens of thousands or $100,000 giving it away and trusting him. But I had to listen and I had to let him in. And if you believe it's all yours, you won't be listening. Will you let him in to your career? I bought my business that I worked for a couple of years ago, but before that, I, none of, it's an investment firm. None of the people, none of the clients were my clients, so they were always somebody else's clients. So for me to step out and to pray for somebody was very scary because if I made them mad, it wasn't just on me. It was on the person whose clients they were. And I remember one particular time, a, a prospective client, this was somebody we were trying to land, came in. We were meeting with them, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you're supposed to pray for that person. And I'm shaken. And I don't do it. And the meeting ends and I go into my office and like the conviction of the Holy Spirit was not like, it was like none other. I ran out of the office, found her in the parking lot at her car and I I prayed for her, not knowing what was going to happen. A couple of days later, she emails me or she emails our whole firm and she says, I want to become a client because of the peace that I felt when that man prayed for me. I want to find that peace in my finances. But I had to step out. We had a receptionist. We had a receptionist at our firm who was not saved. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about different things in her life. And over a series of about two or three months, I began to talk to her about Jesus. And finally, she accepted Jesus into her life. And I prayed that she would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I had to step out. And I had to listen. The Holy Spirit wants to go to work with you. The Holy Spirit wants to be in your finances. And he's going to give you Holy Spirit nudges. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Those Holy Spirit nudges. Like you're in the grocery store and you see somebody in a wheelchair down the aisle. And you get a little Holy Spirit nudge. Or you begin to get this thought in your mind like maybe I should begin to fast one day a week. 
Or maybe I should give this next week in the first fruits offering. Like my wife and I, we've doubled every year what we've given for five years. The numbers are getting stupid. Like they're getting stupid. But we keep getting the Holy Spirit nudge. What will you do when the Holy Spirit nudges you? It says this in Galatians 5. I'm almost done. Galatians 5. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is moving. He is leading you. And are you following the crowd where the crowd is going? Or are you following where the Spirit is leading you? The Holy Spirit says, turn here. I will turn here. He says, give too much money. I will give too much money. He says, do this with your children. I will do this with your children. He says, talk to that person. I will talk to that person. Pray for that person. Lift your hands, son. I will lift my hands. Whatever he tells me to do. But I must be listening. Because the Holy Spirit wants to be with you and to go with you. The Holy Spirit is not meant to fill you for you to speak in tongues and then you're done. He wants to walk with you, to speak with you. He wants to use you. A couple of years ago, I should say when we first started pastoring here, we made a rule that no one was allowed to pray in tongues from the microphone. No one. Worship team speaking. Because we didn't want to offend people. Like, if you, if you, if you visit church and you don't, know anything about speaking in tongues, all of a sudden someone's like, you're like, oh my gosh, run, honey, grab the kids and let's book it. And so we're like, we're not, we're not going to do that. If we can't bring context to it, we're just not going to do it. And about a year and a half ago was right here during worship and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and he said, why are you embarrassed by me? Why do I embarrass you? And if we're honest, how often do we get embarrassed by the Holy Spirit? He begins to move and we're like, ooh, that just, that's distracting. That's uncomfortable. That doesn't feel right. I don't feel like doing that. And we get embarrassed. And so we begin to turn away, look away, not come, get uncomfortable. We begin to listen to the crowd, put up walls and barriers. I don't want that. We can begin to create theology that the fire is going to hurt us rather than help us. And I love this because Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and it says he welcomed him gladly. How are you welcoming the Holy Spirit into your life? Does he come into your home and you're like watching every move? Don't make sure he doesn't go in that room over there. Make sure he doesn't look in that closet. I don't want him to know about, about this issue that I have. I don't want him to know about the sin in my life. I don't want him to know about my, my addiction. Or are you welcoming him gladly into your life saying, I don't even care anymore. I just want you. See, last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit is holy. We know who he is. Now the question is, will you let him in? It's not just about praying in in a spiritual language, although everyone should. And we will pray for you eventually in these coming weeks to do that if you haven't already. But will you let him into your life? Will you receive the power of the Holy Spirit so that your life will be a witness? Will you let him in or you keep him at a distance because you feel you're too dirty or you feel he's too weird? He is not crazy uncle, Holy Spirit. He is God. And when you resist the Holy Spirit, what you're actually doing is resisting God. Let me say that really clearly one more time. When you resist the Holy Spirit, you are resisting God. And you are saying, I don't like that part about you, so I don't want to have anything to do with it. You're saying, God, if I don't want part of you, you're saying, I don't want any of you. Would you stand with me?
The Bible says that he stands at the door and knocks. Will you let him in? Will you let the Holy Spirit into your life? And will you welcome him into your marriage? Will you welcome him into your children? Will you welcome him into your finances? Will you let him walk with you and speak to you and challenge you? This morning, we're going we're gonna to just worship and sing for about the next five, five seven minutes. And there's some of you who you've never welcomed the Holy Spirit into your life. You've never allowed him into the crevices of your life, the places that you feel uncomfortable. Maybe some of you are here today and you've never just let him in at all. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to touch you and he's going to fill you this morning. And we're going to begin to ask the Holy Spirit to come and we're going to welcome him. Amen. Amen. So everybody in this room, I just want eyes closed and I want you to begin to lift your hands up to heaven and I want you to begin to ask the Holy Spirit to come. I want you to begin to ask the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my life. I welcome you into my marriage. I welcome you into my parenting, into my children. I welcome you into my finances. I welcome you into my job and my career. I welcome you into this addiction. I welcome you into that unforgiveness. I welcome you into that drug habit. I welcome you into my alcoholism. I welcome you into my porn habit. I welcome you into every area of my life. Lord, come and move. I'm not ashamed of it any longer. I'm not going to keep you at a distance any longer. I'm going to welcome you in. God, come and do whatever you want. You want to rearrange the furniture in my house? I don't care. But I welcome you in. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Just begin to ask Him. Say, I let you in. I let you in. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. I let you in. Some of you have been having trouble in your marriage. You've been having trouble with your kids. You've been having trouble in, in your finances. It's time to welcome the Holy Spirit into those areas. Holy Spirit, come. Come on, let's sing this together. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You're welcome in my life. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Let him know he's welcome. Let him know he's welcome in your life. Let him know he's welcome in your home. He's welcome in every room, not just in five rooms, not just in a couple rooms, but every area in your life. You are welcome here, Holy Spirit. You're welcome in my life, Holy Spirit. Come and have your way. Come, Spirit of God, come.
everybody in this room just put your hand on your heart say this fear go every spirit of fear go in my life Jesus right now I ask you that spirit of fear leave this room in Jesus name Father your Holy Spirit come and move every spirit of fear every spirit of pride every religious spirit leave in the name of Jesus there is one spirit that we want in this room and that is the Holy Spirit of God so Lord come come we welcome you we welcome you some of you in this room you've been resisting him in certain areas there's been things that he's been nudging you to do areas he's been asking for you to surrender to I want you to begin to listen to him again listen to him again he's knocking will you open the door and let him in he's knocking will you surrender this to me will you give me your children will you give me your marriage will you surrender your finances Will you live for me in your job, in your workplace, or will you live by fear? Will you walk with the Holy Spirit, or will you walk with fear? Will you walk in power, or will you walk in fear? Will you walk with God, or will you walk in your strength? Will you walk according to what Jesus says, or follow the crowd? Who will you follow? The Holy Spirit is knocking. He's saying, today, I want to come to your house. Today, right now, I want to come to your house. Will you let him in? Will you let him in? Will you let him in? Come on, if you want to let him in, just begin to say it. I let you in, Holy Spirit. You can come. There's nothing more that I want but you. Nothing else but you, Jesus. Nothing else. I climb higher today. I climb higher today. I got a different perspective. All I want is you, God. You can come in and you can have access to me. God, you come in and change my perspective. God, you come in and give me wisdom and guidance. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, come and deposit yourself in every single individual here today. Pride and fear go. Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. We give you access today, Jesus. We give you access today, Jesus. Come, 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 Holy Spirit. Come on, if you want him today, just begin to ask him. Begin to ask him to come. Holy Spirit, come into my life and into my family. Come into this church. We welcome you to come and inhabit the praises of your people today. God, we give you permission to move however you want to move. We ask that the fire of God would come and burn in our hearts, that would come and awaken us from slumber, that would come and cause dead bones to come alive. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. You are welcome here. Come flood the place and fill my atmosphere. Fill the atmosphere in my home, in my life. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come on, let's sing it one more time.
I really feel like I just I just hear the Holy Spirit saying to me, He's like, tell them it's gonna be extreme. Tell them it's gonna be extreme. It's gonna be, it's gonna sound crazy. I've had a couple people in the last few weeks come to me and say, the Lord just told me to give 10% of everything I make away again on top of my time. I've had some people come and tell me the Holy Spirit's told me I need to begin to fast a couple of days a week. I need to do a year-long Daniel fast. There's going to be some extreme measures maybe in your parenting. The Holy Spirit's going to begin to nudge you. When you give Him access, He will come against your flesh because your flesh needs to die and He needs to have rulership. So Holy Spirit, I ask for faith to trust and to follow. Faith to trust and to follow. Jesus wants to stay. He doesn't just want to visit. Holy Spirit, we want you to stay. We want you to stay. Come stay in my life. Stay in my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.